0: I started using Pillar Performance about a month ago and as a skeptic of just about every supplement on the market, I was so impressed by their triple magnesium and the benefits I felt from it, particularly with my sleep and recovery, that I reached out to them to try more of their stuff. And once again, for someone who never uses supplements, I was such a fan. And because of that faith I have in the products from using them and the benefit I truly believe people will get from using them, I'm happy to announce that this episode of How They Train is brought to you by Pillar Performance. Leaders in sports micronutrition, Pillar are changing the way micros are viewed when it comes to optimal performance. High strength and informed sports certified, Pillar's range supports optimal recovery, elevates energy, boosts immunity, and relieves inflammation. Head to pillarperformance.shop to learn more. And while you're there, use my code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. That's code HTT10. TT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. And it supports the show, so it's a win win. Welcome back to How They Train. My name's Jack Kelly, and today I'm joined by the fourth place finisher at the Ironman World Championships and the biggest dark horse in triathlon history. Finishing in 7 hours, 44 minutes, a time that was 8 minutes faster than Jan Froden previous course record, Max Newman. Max, the Men's Ironman World Championships this year was simply out of this world. The strongest, deepest, fastest Ironman World Championships race we've ever seen. And you came fourth and were in a battle to win for most of the day uh, in a really, really select group. Something pretty much no one in, in the entire world of triathlon expected, I think. How is it for you, reflecting on um, such a special day of racing?
1: Yeah, I mean Kona is the biggest um, sporting event on our calendar for sure. There's, there's no doubt. I, I didn't, I didn't think it would be, but when I arrived, you know, the atmosphere there is, is, is something else. So yeah, I mean, I always knew I had, I had a performance in me um, after the numbers we've, we've done in Cairns, but uh, to bring it out on, on the actual day is always it's always hard so to actually have a good day on the (laughs) on the world championships is um yeah kind of cool
0: i want to sort of um backtrack just a little bit before we do like a deep dive on the the race itself and you know like get a get a bit of like a a race recap from you i want to recap to a couple of things that i've been wanting to ask you for probably the better part of six to eight months so because like this is an australian podcast and I started off by interviewing a lot of Australian triathletes. People would always message in and and request like Australian triathletes. And for the large part, I'd just be like, yep, I'll try and get them on. And I can't tell you how many times people said, get Max Newman on the podcast. Like I was going to go back and count them before this episode because I'm like, this would just be like, it would be a huge number, but there's just too many messages on that Instagram now. So I'm like, I can't do that. But I would estimate it that it's 200, 250 times kind of thing. And, like, having to say no so many times without, like, coming across, like, I don't want Max on the show, I would just always start giving this, like, same answer, which is, like, I think Max is probably our best triathlete, long-course triathlete right now, but I'm not asking him on until he achieves what I know he could achieve. And for me, I always thought, like, you've had good results. Like, you know, everyone knows that your Ironman Cairns races have been great. Your Sunny Coast race the other week, for example, was, like, fucking insane. And like, I look at them and I go, if that's a lot of people, I ask them on straight away. But I just always had this idea in my head that you were going to be the guy that would probably do that thing that would get Australia back on the map in, in Ironman on a world stage, whether it be a podium on Kona, at Kona or like, I don't know, going over to Frankfurt and winning that or like, just something big. Like, I just always knew you were you were capable of it. And I was like, I was just like, well, when he does that, hopefully he's still, now he's not too big that he says no to coming on. But I would just always say like, he's got a big result like in him. And as soon as he does that, I'm going to ask him. And when I was watching you, so I was laying in like a hotel room, watching the Ironman World Championships, watching your race. And I was with my girlfriend and she was sort of like surprised you were there. And I was I just wasn't surprised at all. And she just like, I remember her asking at one point, like deep into the ride, she's like, can Max, like, can he hold on to this? Or is he just going to like blow up? And I'm like, I reckon he can run through like, I reckon you can finish third here second. Like I didn't think anyone was going to beat Gustav, no offense, but I, I had full confidence in you and I knew how strong you run at, run at sunny coast was. So yeah, that, that performance on that day was fucking special, mate. And like, I'm so glad it happened to you. I like not to make it about me because it's not, it's about you, but <laughs> I always knew that you had that result in you and to see it unfold and happen. Like, yeah, I was, I was super happy from you for you because I'm such a fan from afar. Um, and and it, why i'm saying all this and why it's like such a long-winded thing is i feel like the story of your career has been a little bit like doubt has been a big part of it to this point i think people know you're good and like you sort of seem to break through onto the the 70.3 circuit a little bit and achieve some results and everyone's like oh who's max newman like fuck he's good and then i feel like since then maybe like maybe maybe you don't quite get the attention or credit that you deserve and i'm not sure why it is and and, and it sort of all culminated at, at 70.3 Sunshine Coast, which you won in like probably the best performance in a 70.3 on Australian soil in maybe ever, but in in a long time. Like it was a proper insane performance. And um, and I was really interested by your comments after the race where you were sort of like a little bit of a, it seemed to me like a little bit of a fuck you to the organisers because it seemed like maybe <laughs> you didn't get helped um, in terms of like money or accommodation or travel and I don't know. It sort of just seems like you had this little bit of uh, me against the world about you, not in, not in a bad way, in, in sort of like a I'm better than maybe people are giving me credit for kind of way. And, and I, I was watching Kona unfold and I, I just, it was like thinking, I wonder whether this is like validation in Max's mind. He knows how good he is. He knew he was capable of a result like this, but I feel like no one in the world was giving him a chance. No one thought he could do this. Um, is everything I'm saying there right? Is Have I read all of that right? Is like my idea of, of you and where you're at in your career at the moment right? Or am I completely off the mark there?
1: I mean, yes and no. I, I think um, I keep a pretty low profile. <laughs> I think uh, throughout my career, I've never really, you know, gone up chasing after, you know, interviews or, or anything like that, I've never really created any <laughs> any sort of content on online on on Instagram. Um, I've always sort of just you know kept to myself um, over the last couple of years, I can sort of see how over you know the last what is it five, ten years, how Instagram and Facebook play such a big such a big role in the sport now. Um, yeah, and to to just sort of stay in the in the background. Um, I can see how people just sort of forget about you really, really fast. Um, but you know, it doesn't faze me, you know. Like, um, you know, I might be forgoing a couple of a couple of sponsorship dollars, but um, I'd rather be happy and enjoy the life how I like to live it. Um, and I mean, it, it, it gets results, so um, I enjoy that. I enjoy what I do, and uh, I mean, yeah, you gotta you're gonna have to in the future, obviously, build on built on the social media presence and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say really. It's sort of just like um, I'm not really chasing people's validation or anything like that. I just sort of do it for myself and my, my small team sort of thing. It's um, very personal and, uh, yeah, I enjoy what I do. And, um, yeah, when you get results, it's uh, <laughs> it's very fulfilling.
0: Well, let's go into the race then, Max, because, I mean, that's what everyone wants to hear about. I think I think there was like this moment when you ran up past the Norwegians early on in the run and and made the decision to just go straight around them. And, you know, like we all know what Ironman commentary is like. It's people who don't really know what they're watching or who clearly don't follow the sport. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't know who you were for a lot of the race, like there was a few times when they were like reporting on the bike and they're like, uh, saying like, this guy looks good or like, you know, that kind of thing. And then when you run mm-hmm. past him, like, Hey, Max Newman's just moved up to, you know, he, like he's running in, inside the top three in this select group of five people off the front of the race. Like he's clearly pretty good. And they were sort of just like, uh, like the way they were talking about you doing it was like, sort of like your stupid type of thing or like, who's <laughs> this guy? Uh, which was hilarious. But what a moment that was. Like everyone who was watching that probably in Australia and just if you're a triathlon fan was like, fuck, look at Maxi here. Like <laughs> just gone straight up past Gustav Eden and, and Christian Blumenfeld who weren't running slow. Like they were the fastest movers on the course apart from you and you just went straight past him. It was just like, fuck, it was ballsy. And I loved watching <laughs> it. Um, and so I'm keen to to hear about that specific moment um, and your running in general. But can you take us back back and can we like do a full race debrief like Mm. I don't even really care where you start it could be a few days out the the night before and and can we work our way all the way until you know the end of the race
1: yeah um yeah well if you go all the way back I guess it's actually quite an easy race for us Australians to to get there it's just like a nine hour if you're in Sydney or Melbourne it's a nine hour nine hour flight pretty much direct to Honolulu then just a short 30 minute flight to Kona so it's it's not actually too hard and the time zones sort of exactly the same. I, I think that's seriously has something to do with Australia's success at this race. It's, it's very easy to get to. Um, and I mean, when I landed there, I, I we touched down. I remember just getting off the plane and, and taking a big whiff of the air. And I was like, this, this smells like home. <laughs> it's like, it's got, it's got the same grass, the same trees. Um, It was actually quite fascinating. I didn't expect that. It's the first sort of place I've been on a long-haul flight and I popped up the plane and it's been like, it smells like Brisbane. It smells like Mount Sands from where I live. So that was quite comforting. Um, And, yeah, we we sort of spent the first um, week in town. I just wanted to spend, spend a bit of time there just to get a vibe. I've never been to the island, so I just wanted to get a vibe for, you know, the Alihi Drive and the finish line and the swim start just get a real feel for what the race was sort of sort of felt like. Um, I've sort of got like a, a race meter where it's like a race, my race is off, like pretty much Noosa's at the top at the top for me. And I pretty much go down from there. And if, if a race is pretty close to Noosa, it's, um, yeah, it's going to be, I think for me, it's, it's quite an emotional sort of attachment there. And I like to race off emotion. So it's like the race feels like Noosa. I feel like I'm going to have a <laughs> – Have a good race, though. Um, Yeah, we saw it was just good good to get a feel down there. It felt pretty cool. But, I mean, coming into race week, there was just thousands and thousands of people running up and down (laughs) the road. And, uh, yeah, it just got too much. So we planned it quite well. So we actually ended up moving up the hill a bit, um, just out in the energy lab there. Um, Yeah, it's like 10 degrees, 5, 10 degrees cooler, only like a mile up the hill, um, so it was quite nice up there. I had a nice house, and it was just really relaxing to to get out of town and uh, focus on the race. Um, but yeah, it all went well um, except <laughs> we had a little bit of sickness. Like we we're talking before the show, before the before the race, and um, I just literally shit myself when I heard my girlfriend was had a bit of a croaky throat. And she was losing her voice, and I was thinking, oh no, this is not what you want. Um, but yeah, we sort of tried to stay. We had a real big open house, so we tried to stay away well, as much as possible. Um, but yeah, well, now we all we all sick. We all got COVID after the race, so um, <laughs> we definitely had uh, a sickness there. But I don't think it affected me at all um, in the race. But that was a little bit of a scare. Um, but yeah, we all we all pretty calm. We have a good little team out there. We had. Um, all six of us over there, my brother, my coach, um, Mitchell was there. He pretty much did everything for me in, in terms of getting my water bottles and all that stuff sort of set up. And having that relationship is, uh, I think, um, yeah, without that, I don't think I'd be where I w- would be in this sport because it creates it, – um, Ironman racing sort of – you need like a, a team who does all this stuff for you or um, if you do it by yourself, I don't believe <laughs> – you're gonna really get anywhere in the sport, so to have that um, takes a lot of pressure off, off me. Um, yeah, and basically uh, race morning, um, you know the usual porridge. Um, just trying to basically force it down, um, and then yeah, we <laughs> drove down the hill, did a music pumping. you always get a bit jacked up. I, the three Men the three Ironmans I've done is um, it's a 30k drive to the the start, Palm Cove, so you got a good 45 minutes sort of thing to to get G'd up and, you know, it's sort of fun. We have played the same songs for the last four years, I think. Um, And it sort of just, you know, brings you down, calms you down. And uh, yeah, I guess I'm a sort of, I I like listening to the same music. I can go out for six hours and put one, one song on replay. So it's more of a comfort thing, I think. Um, But yeah, down a race site, it was all pretty relaxed, to be honest. there were a lot of people, but uh, yeah, it was it was quite easy. A lot of volunteers taking me to go, but um, yeah, I mean, it's you're always going to be nervous down at the race, but uh, yeah, it took me definitely a lot longer than <laughs> I expected to do my bike, and I think everyone was sort of the same. Um, but yeah, uh, sw- so swim start, um, I was on the left side. Um, I I picked out uh, Laidlow and. Uh, there was, I think Hemrick And I was like, oh, yeah, from the practice swim on Saturday. Um, I knew Hemrick and I think Layla even jumped in on the practice swim. So I knew these guys were going to be swimming well. Um, but I pretty much got a fair idea that the pace wasn't going to be on as soon as Layla, he said something. Uh, I can't quite remember. He goes along the lines of, I'm just going to sit back here and then I'll just, I'll just swim around everyone. Um, so I pretty much thought then, you know, the pace isn't gonna be super hot if the the best swimmer here's starting three rows back. <laughs> um, so I was like, All right, um yeah, we'll just sit in here and uh see what happens and uh the first I don't know, K or two K felt pretty pretty solid, but yeah, coming in I think everyone sort of saw that Gustav and Christian were still in the group and coming back into into town there it was super slow. I just felt like I was like just on, I I could do backstroke and and stay in the group. It was just felt super cruisy, um, and yeah. Of course, when your when your heart rate's at like a 100, 110, I don't know. It would, it felt super low. Um, I was like, all right. Our plan was to get into transition, um, and just hit that first bit of town just because of the drafting penalties. The two days of full on the girls race. We we planned to. Just hit the hit the hit the town area hard, and basically see see where the race is. Um, but yeah, I, I did that, and uh, I sort of decided to put my helmet on my on my bike, which no one else did. And I'm thinking, you guys are crazy. We've got you're focusing on chucking a helmet in a bag, which I know, for example, from previous experience, is super hard when you're when you're stressed a bit. So yeah, I just got my swimsuit off. Chucked in the bag, chucked it out and sprinted basically around transition. I think I almost got 20 seconds up on people. Um, so that was a crucial part of my race, I think. Um, to just have clean roads, ride at your own pace in this pretty technical town area where the crowds are are all g'd up, um, just to stay calm basically, riding your own pace, was I think set me up for, pretty much set up my whole day, I reckon. Ah, um, uh, yeah, when Lalo. Came past just at the top Polani. Uh, I didn't expect it to just be one person before the race. We definitely thought, you know, we'd have at least 10 people in that front group, uh, swapping turns. But, um, yeah, I don't think anyone picked how the race this, this year's race turned out. So, um, yeah, later went to the front. He put a big, big surge in there. Um, I was like, ah, oh, I've done this in heaps of times in training, so it won't take too much out of me to go with him. Um, when I sort of got back within, you know, fifteen meters, um, yeah, he started wanting me to pull through and our whole race plan was basically <laughs> my whole mentality for that race was basically to sit in. Um I just didn't have that confidence that uh Melo and these Engit um riders sort of have in their in their bike. I've it's definitely getting there, but my I guess my yeah, confidence isn't quite there yet to push, you know, three hundred three hundred and whatever watts um, for the race. Um, especially in a world championship. I just didn't want to risk that when I was, you know, running running so strong. Um, so it was hard but uh, I just had to say no to not to not pulling. Um, and so Layla sort of got that that idea pretty pretty quick and he sort of just kept his head down there and uh, pulled basically all the way to to the turnaround and didn't touch the front once. Um, but yeah, and then obviously Ditlev uh, came up. Um, don't know if he brought uh, Gustav and Christian with him, but when he came through, um, he didn't come through as quick as I expected. I think he was actually hurting a little bit too after, I, I'd imagine he would have put a crazy amount of power down there to shut that gap down. And I reckon that would have hurt him hurt him a little bit. Um, yeah, coming to the turnaround, uh, I think Layla had a tiny gap, maybe 50 metres, and no one was really too worried. But Ditlev uh, stopped, and I'm thinking, what is he doing? <laughs> he stopped, and he, he clips out and asks for his special needs bottle. And I'm thinking, oh, this has gone through my head in the race. I'm thinking, you've spent all this money, all this time on, you know, saving two watts here, one half a watt there, point five, like all this time and effort and you've just clipped out and a stop to get your, your special needs. Um, I think he lost a minute there um, and pretty much from there that would have been <laughs> his race over no matter what, um, putting two massive surges like that in a race. Um, you saw with Brownlee in 2019 when he, uh, I think, he had a flat and then he just put what it would have been 380 or 400 watts to bridge back up to yarn and i think that's what ruined his race um in 2019 and i believe that's what ruined ditler's race just uh stopping for his special needs um and then obviously i don't know what happened with his penalty but um when he got onto the back of us near waikaloa apparently apparently he they pinned him there which is just crazy considering he just probably bridged up 400 watts to come back to us. Um, And then they just pinged him for drafting, for sitting on for like two seconds, Um, which is crazy. And um, yeah, I don't think any, I I, I didn't know what was happening there. So um, yeah, he sort of, when Layla was off the front, he sort of, I don't think he was going to go with Layla anyway. I think everyone thought Layla was sort of, you know, a 255 runner, 250 runner in this sort of heat. So no one was really too worried when these boys um, were playing on running a, a 235. So they and didn't care. We, it was really quite easy sitting in, coming into town like the last 55, 50K. It was, it felt super, super easy. Um, so I don't think they were too worried. And no, I can see how the time, we just bleeded time. It's um, when you're riding, I reckon it wouldn't have been too too hard at all coming coming into town. Um but that's how you run fast, you know. I think has always been over overbiked for for as long as I can remember. Like we sat down with my brother my coach and we just looked looked back at all the years and why why hasn't anyone been able to run like a two hundred thirty eight, like the Dave Scott days and why hasn't anyone ever been able to run that again? And I think it's just comes down to overbiking. Um and, I, yeah, obviously, I just thought Lalo, there's no way if the history is right, there's no way Lelo can can hang on to this. So I was confident as well that I was definitely up for a, <laughs> for a good result here. Um, so, yeah, coming in transition, we heard we got, what, six? I think it was yeah, six minutes plus. And, um, yeah, we're coming out of transition. No, I do a kit change. Into something that I, we trained about a thousand times, trying to take that thing on and off as quick as possible. Um, and it was, I think they lost about 20 seconds. And the the scenario you're talking about before, when I came past him, it was actually I didn't have my watch, I hadn't connected to the satellites yet, so I had no idea what pace I was running. So it felt it felt super cruisy, but I, I think back, looking back now, I think I was running about 3:10 pace, <laughs> something something ridiculous like that. Um, and then yeah, it, I mean it's good to be part of the race I think as well. I think at these big races it's good to, you know, use that energy of the of the crowd and stuff to to you know um, get a result out of yourself. Um, but yeah, we we settled in and uh, I think the next <laughs> the next big thing was when uh, I could tell that good stuff was you can tell straight away who's on who's on and who's not and I could just tell good stuff was breathing out his nose and he was just. Fully in control of this race. Um, but on the other hand, I think Christian was suffering suffering a bit. Um, it was hot, like super hot. Like I've raced in Cairns in 36 degrees and 99% humidity. It was just the most insane race I've ever, ever done in. And I think I ran a 250 there, which is probably the equivalent of like a 243 or something. Um, but, yeah, I think Christian was, was hurting a bit in the heat. Um, and I could, I could tell because he kept, uh, he kept touching my arm and just like rubbing on my arm for like 200 meters. And I'm thinking, what's this guy doing? It's like, <laughs> it, he's literally like, he, he just wouldn't move out of Gustav's line. And I'm thinking this guy's, he's like a robot. He's just like, if he's hurting, he's just going to stick on Gustav's feet for, you know, 42 gay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just kept touching my arm, and then uh, I sort of, you know, move out of the, out of his line there, and I'm um, I'm sort of running really close to the side, and he obviously comes way too close to my feet and sort of taps my ankles. Not, I, I nearly go down, I trip over, sort of thing, and I, I just say to him, "You effing!" Like I just like rele- unre- release on him because it was like fully like in the moment sort of thing. He's he's playing mind, he was playing mind games, and uh, you know if that's what it, it's it's a winner's take all mindset, and. Uh, he, he me have me being there in that situation probably wasn't in there in their pre race talk so he's probably a bit stressed out um, and he's obviously not feeling too good so um, yeah that was a bit of an eye opener for me um, seeing Christian do that but that that's racing and that's what if you if that's what it takes to to win uh, um, yeah I'm not sure but um, anyway on the onto the run and, and uh, yeah they were running super quick I think good stuff. Um, was putting down three, he was running about three twenty eight, I think when they sort of went away and I said, if there's any, I don't think I'm going to beat Gustav, but there's any way to beat Christian, it's to, you know, back it off a little bit. Um, and hopefully his when his takes all mentality, he suffers in the, in the end of the, end of the marathon. Um, so yeah, I sort of kept that gap within, I think it was about 30 seconds to a minute, um, pretty much in the entire marathon. And, um, my best sort of section of the marathon was coming out of the energy lab, and I thought, all right, I got this, I got christian um but uh, that guy's as hard as nails, and uh he was suffering like a dog, and he he just stuck in, and uh yeah, to be honest, I don't think anyone else would have been able to hold on for that podium um but yeah, he stuck on onto it, and uh, yeah, I saw him after the race, he's just hobbling around like. <laughs> Like he's, you know, just it's just crazy to see these these guys, you know. But um, yeah, I'm super proud of, of the performance I, I put down, and uh, yeah, I, I'm already looking forward to you know having another crack at it.
0: That was seriously the best recap I reckon anyone's done <laughs> of, of the world champs so far, and I've listened to I've listened to all of them. So obviously, going to be lots to unpack with that. Um, mm. I reckon like a real a really interesting point in the race was the halfway point of the bike. So Kona is like funny in the men's race in that it's like, historically it always plays out the same, but I reckon it just felt like it was playing out a little differently this year. It wasn't, it wasn't a traditional, um, I'm like men's Ironman world championships in that at the halfway point on the bike, we had a group of five, uh, a group of six. And the, that was the podium, like without question, I like, I think everyone watching it at that point realised, oh, the winner comes from this group without question and probably more than likely the podium does too. And as it turned out, you know, it was the top top four that came from that group mm-hmm. um, and, and the back of the race or, you know, the, the chase pack never saw you four guys again. And, and you sort of talked about it, in a, like a way that I've wanted to ask some questions about, but no one's really talked about. It. And it was like the role of Magnus Ditlev there. So everyone going into the race probably thought as of Magnus as the best cyclist in, in, in the, um, in the field. Uh, I don't know if you thought that, but I reckon that was sort of like the majority um, of people's opinions. And Mm. he, I reckon most people, like he rode really strong, but he didn't have the ride that people expected of him. And it was because of like things like you said, you know, that little gap he had out of the water, um, and had to put in a massive surge and probably got back on a little bit too quickly. And, And then he had a crack to to move up to the front and he he had to come back to the the group with um with like Christian and and Gustav and and then that sort of like uh, you know weird weird bit of time lost at at the turnaround to to then get back up and he like his I reckon his race and the way he rode was something that had a really big factor on the race because everyone I, I know talking to to Sam Laidlow like he just assumed at that turnaround point with the slight downhill Magnus is like known for, for pushing like a really big gear. And when, when the race goes slightly downhill on those, like, you know, negative one to 2% gradients, he just rides away from people historically. And it didn't happen that day. And, and that gave Sam laid though, the opportunity to get away. And, and I mean, you were sitting there with Magnus and, and Christian and, um, and Gustav and, and like you know, it was just sort of it was just weird how it played out with though just bit by bit working his way away from the group, and you guys like you talked about riding quite a bit slower into town than what you were capable of, um, and then Sam though obviously goes on and and comes second, and you know not far off winning wins the race because you all expected him to run way slower than what he did. Like he probably ran six, seven, eight minutes faster than what everyone thought his maybe his best on that day was going to be. So I really want to focus on that point. in in the race with you like did you realize there that that the winner was in this group and that you were a real chance and were you thinking about like how do I play this here is was that lack of confidence in your bike the thing that that just made you sit in with Gustav and 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 Christian maybe knowing in the back of your head that I don't know if I can outrun these guys and um, did you realize that Magnus had, had sort of you know fucked his race up and he wasn't a threat now and at any point, did you get worried about Sam, or try and, th- or think like maybe I should get onto the back of Sam? Like, yeah, I just think that that was like a really critical point in the race, and I'd like to hear it from a, the perspective of you, who mm-hmm. who sat back because we've heard because Sam Laidler obviously came on the podcast yesterday, and we we heard his perspective about making the decision to go and sort of he made the decision to go, the Norwegians were never going to, and you made the decision to sit in. So I think your opinion and your view on that is like really interesting to us. Mm-hmm
1: yeah i I think Layla just picked the most perfect spot. I think everything just went into his favor at that exact point that he he sort of went. Um, I think yeah uh, Ditlev sort of put in that huge effort to try and um full respect to him. He tried to get away from the norwegians, which he which he did um and I think the Norwegians put it, had to put a fair bit of effort also because they knew the race was of course up the road as soon as Ditlev got away. Um, So they, they decided to put a huge dig in as well there to come to the front, but I guess theirs was uh, a little more gradual. Um, And I think when you're racing for seven hours, you just got to do stuff, you know, gradually. Um, And I think, I think Ditlev sort of went off his, you know, his Roth, his Roth race and just tried to mimic that um, where he, you know, bridged up to yarn in the first 40 K, which is, Pretty similar to what he tried to do here in Kona, um, but I think I think the thing with I mean Ditlev's is an unreal cyclist, and uh, I mean look at his position and, and the time, his amount of money he's put into his bike and time, it's just phenomenal. Um, and he's changing, he's changing the game there. But I think, uh, yeah, I think at these championship races, even for Ditlev, I think his plan was I don't know, but I'm just speaking what I think. I think his plan was, you know, to to pretty much match that Roth that Roth ride and I don't think that he would have gone with Lalo. I don't think he would have risked that. I think he would have backed his backed his run for a for a pretty much guaranteed podium, which I think he would have been would have been happy for. But I think the thing is that no one realised was Lalo was going for the win. And um to have that sort of confidence that LaLo have um because I was even, I was just double guessing myself as well. And I, I, I reckon Lalo would have been, <laughs> would have been the same. I don't reckon he would have been confident that that attack definitely wasn't planned. Um, I think it was just a spur of the moment, you know, um, gutsy move that, that just paid off for him. Like he's obviously on a ripper day, but I think to have the guts to, to make that move in a, in a corner. um is yeah, is quite is quite impressive and um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think I think he just went at Lalo just went at that perfect time when there was sort of some weird stuff happening. Our like groups had come together, um, we we're all sort of deciding, you know, what do we do? Do we do we sit in? Does is Ditlev going to go? Is 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 he going to bridge over to Lalo? Um, but yeah, when sort of Ditlev um stopped unclipped to get his special needs. Um, I pretty much knew then that there's uh there's no one gonna pull no one's pulling here except for the Norwegians. So um yeah, I, I think Ditlev regrets that hundred percent. I'm not sure why why he stopped there, but I think that that move right there um created the race. Um I'm not hundred percent sure if he would have worked, but uh that definitely did. That was a pretty big factor in in the race um, when, you know, there's, we lose Dittler, one of the bigger, better riders here, and you're just going to have stuff and Christian pulling turns um, to a guy that they think is going to run a two, <laughs> 250 to 255. So they wouldn't be, they're not going to be pushing hard, which they didn't, you know, we're we're pretty much just tapping it into town. Um, but yeah, that's, like you said, that is that was the crucial moment for, for Sam and, I think he just went with his guts, his gut feeling, and uh, to win championship races, you, you, you sort of got to do that. Like for me, I sort of just stuck to exactly what we said, um, what we're going to do, sit in, and uh, hope for a hope for a good day on the run, you know. But uh, yeah, full full respect to Lalo for for going out and limb there, and uh, yeah, I think he's got a big future. I've been 23. He, do, he doesn't even know his limits yet, so. Um, I think he's going to discover them pretty quick, though.
0: I think the thing is, on reflection, right? Like, it's like really easy to see. Well, the the performance you put in got you fourth place, which it's not. You didn't win, but you probably take that. Like, if you're sitting there the night before the race and chatting with Mitch, your coach, and you say, mm-hmm. like, you can, you know, you got a a fortune teller there and you pay them twenty bucks to to read your future, and they say you're going to come fourth tomorrow. You go, oh, that's pretty fucking good. Um, and and if they tell you this ready, this is the question I have. You're going to be in the front group and you're going to run 240 tomorrow. Do you think do you guys like think well, if I run 240, do you think that gets you more than more than fourth in this race?
1: Yeah, well history history tells you that since oh, 30 years ago when they ran the 238 including the the transition times No one's even come close to that. I think like Yarn's results were like, what, 43s. I don't think he's ever really run faster than that. So if you look at the history, it just doesn't – there's just no sort of – nothing saying that these guys, you know, they're saying they're going to run it to 35, but history tells you that that it's it's not possible sort of thing. Um, But, yeah, I think just having such good conditions on on the bike – you're, you're allowed to sort of, um, you know, sort of cruise back into town there. I think we had a, a bit of a tail in there um, and that's just set you up for just such a beautiful, a beautiful uh, cruisy run for Gustav. Um, but, yeah, it, of course, we, you, no one ever picked the situation, which is, I think, why the race was, was so exciting for viewers. Um, I, I don't think anyone would have ever picked that situation, to be honest with you. No one. Uh, not even one person, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, I think that's why it was so exciting, it was just the unpredictability. Um, and, of course, the fast race times, which everyone loves. But, um, yeah, good stuff running a 236 here is, in my opinion, one of the craziest things that I've ever seen. And I don't think that's going to be matched for many, many, many years to come, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny you say that about the history of the race because probably the closest thing we've had, you know, since those races you talk about 30 years ago is that, um, or 20, 30 years ago, is that the Patrick Lang race in, when when he ran like up through the field and won it and everyone was like, this run is crazy. And he really, he just ran the same time you did on, on at Kona on mm-hmm. the weekend, which is like, that's quite because no one's looking at your race now and thinking like oh that's the greatest run we've ever seen whereas at the time everyone was looking at Patrick Lang and they were saying like he just runs in the heat better than everyone else like no one runs this course better than him and and like it, he was like his run was being like literally talked about like his run at Kona like he just he just knows how to do that differently than everyone there was like all this mm. like mystique about his nutrition strategy and he was keeping it secret and everyone wanted to know because like mm. people just wanted to like be able to figure out how did he do this and, it, and now now it's just like, oh well, Max Newman, a guy mm. who no one's talking about like that, just ran the exact same time as as him on the weekend and came mm. fourth. So it's funny how quickly the sports pro- progressed over mm. the last few years, isn't it? Um, hey, you've um you've brought up that your your brother a few times, Mitch, um, who's your coach, maybe the most unknown professional coach on <laughs> on the, the planet, really. Like he, and mm. and and probably, you know, has a coach ever? had such a big result and and no one know who he is more than more than mitch um can you sort of uh talk to me about about that coaching relationship how it started and and then maybe maybe we dive into the training that took place to to get you that like insane performance
1: yeah yeah well i guess um it's probably got covid covid to blame um i was with uh cam watt and um before that and i had some some pretty good years. I was sort of starting, you know, make some, some decent money. I was my swim. I got my swim together after, you know, almost ten years of trying to get that get that under control. Um, and it just clicked, you know, one day, and we. After that, everything sort of just just fell in place, and uh, yeah, it was it was a good couple of years there. I, I signed with the BMC team, and you know, I was actually starting to to see like a good future and a, a good profitable. Um, sort of career choice that I'd made so um yeah it was after sort of um what had been end of 2019 start of 2020 when COVID sort of kicked in and uh yeah the world just went to shit didn't it and uh <laughs> I think everyone dealt with it dealt with it differently and um yeah you know I sort of decided to you know move on from, move on from cam and um wasn't wasn't really sure what I was going to do and uh we ended up just talking to me and Mitchell. We're pretty close as a, as a family. Um, so yeah, Mitchell, he, he's a, he loves cycling. Basically he's a big cycling fan. He, he was a bit of a cyclist back in his day. He Um, he's about six foot and he weighs, well, he'd weigh 50 something, 60, maybe 60 kilos. He, he's a tiny fella, like super skinny. <laughs> so he was, a, he was a good little, good little climber. Um, but yeah, he, he just loves cycling and he's, he's obsessed with that sort of side of the sport. And, uh, we're like, oh, if, if we're ever going to be good at this sport, we got to we're going to have to lift our our cycling game. So, um, yeah. We, after that, there was basically one race that was on the on the calendar, and it was Cairns. So, um, during COVID, so we decided to focus six months on on Cairns, and uh, I still look back on that six month period, and it's some of the, like the most craziest training that I've ever done, and I reckon I ever will do. Um. <laughs> we're just doing crazy shit thinking that like, I, I, I think you sort of have to do it, but we're just doing the most crazy stuff. And uh, yeah, I look back now and thinking there's no, no wonder I got injured um, after that race. And, uh, but I think you sort of have to do, do these cages. You sort of have to give your body that chance to, to know, what it, to know what it takes to, to do this Ironman racing and to sort of not fear the distance. Um, just think of it as a, as another race because, I think these races are are now being actually raced like any other triathlon. It's not really like a, a challenge at all for for, the, for us guys, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, he uh, yeah, he definitely changed changed my, the game for me. And um, we got our first result in, in Cairns, and a bit of a confidence booster there. Um, and then basically we just. <laughs> Tamed it down a bit from 2020 to 2021. Um, the training and um, went to Cairns again and uh, got another result in a, in a better time and um, got injured. But I got injured again after that race from from the training. Um, so we like we sat down. We're like, oh, we really got to figure this out. We're coming out of COVID now. We've really got to figure out what we're doing wrong in terms of injuries. Um, and we sort of figured out. You know, it's it, I had a, a lot of time off. Um, after these races and uh, a bit of sickness and just a bit, a few weird, super weird health problems, and you know, coming back from quarantine, sitting in the hotel for two weeks, staring at, <laughs> staring at a wall, um, doesn't help uh, with muscles, <laughs> muscle and bone strength, so. We sort of just said we're never gonna take another break again. <laughs> we're gonna just, you know, if you want to take a break, you can just get, go on a fitness holiday. And but you got to make sure you keep moving because I think for me, if I take a break, I I just come back with uh, all sorts of, of injuries. So um, yeah, we moved on and had our best another big best race in Cairns in this year. Um, after our horrible. <laughs> I did. I did end up going to Worlds in St George, but we'd only done about five, six weeks of training, maybe less. And uh, we just said, you want to do well at uh, St. George or Cairns? And we sort of said Cairns. So um, we rolled into St. George two days before the race. Just just was there to, because the Worlds hadn't been on for three years. So we just sort of had to be there. Um, I got a good brick session out anyway. And, uh, yeah, uh, went to Cairns and got to Cairns in super shape. And I think Cairns, my Cairns result um, is almost still... Current is definitely better, but um, the numbers are pretty similar, to be honest. Um, and we sort of knew that if you can do this um, in Cairns, there's no no way that um, you can't do this in Kona and easily get a podium with, with. what we thought. Uh, so um, yeah, we built on built on that over the next couple of months after after Cairns, and uh, yeah, we we have such a, a close relationship that I don't think many uh athletes have i think um listening to some of sam's things he's obviously coached by his dad which is i think he's pretty close with his dad and i think we're pretty similar to that um you know i talk to mitchell multiple times a day i see the guy at least (laughs) at least five times a week um you know like i can say whatever i want to him he can say whatever he wants to me uh it's just a lot of trust where I don't think anyone else really has it. The only other thing I was thinking of was maybe the Inge Brixens in the Norwegian runners. They have their, their dad coaching them. And I think it's a huge benefit just to be able to have this trust um, in a in a coach. And, you know, it's just such a different relationship to a normal a normal coach-athlete um, relationship. So, um, yeah, I mean, Michi, Michi gives me... We've pretty much gives me most my all my cycling um and you know we work we work together on the on the run and I pretty much just do do my my own swimming um and i've done I've done the sport for so long you sort of know when when you're gonna when you're coming into shape and if you're not in shape, you know the exact workouts you need to do in the pool to to get yourself into shape so um yeah, it's a lot of trust that we have, and I think that's what uh what makes this sort of relationship so so good is that um, it's just we're, we're so close and um, yeah it's, it's quite special to be honest.
0: So much I want to talk about here. So when when you and Mitchy start working together and uh, and you you have this like thought oh we've got to we've got to lift our cycling game as uh, were the words you said and and then going into that six months in in Cairns again to directly quote you you started doing some crazy shit. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk us like through that in a little bit more detail? Cause I think everyone is just like going to be fascinated to know what that crazy shit was. Like what did, what did your weeks look like? How much were you doing? Like all, all professional Ironman athletes do training that, that people who don't do it think is crazy. So for someone in it who's doing it to also think it's crazy, it must be pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, we just, we, I guess we just had no idea what, what it sort of took to, to do one of these, one of these things. So, um, like we're easily doing thirty-five hour weeks, like easy, uh, maybe plus sometimes, and um, it was just like a lot of, like a lot of bricks, like just those full brick days. Like we'd we'd build up, say like uh, for three weeks, and then finish it off with with a brick. But those three weeks were like. Like, you'd, you'd ride hard, like, say, six hours, but, like, you'd finish it off with the, with the scoot Mitchie on the scooter, like, trying to put out, like, 340 watts, like, just burying yourself, like, your hips are all over the place, like, exactly what you don't want to do. <laughs> um, And, yeah, I think just backing up, though, we used to do, like, six hours, then we used to go four, six, four, like, just crazy shit. And then, like, we'd finish the that like with a little bit of a, a longer run after those big few bike days and it was like two and a half hours um out at sandgate which is a place in prison just fully flat um just trying to like rip rip yourself um at like we're running like 330 345 pace uh after these huge days on the bike and um yeah you'd get to you so you do three weeks of that basically and you'd get to the the last week, where you do a little, little bit of a two day taper into a, a bit of a brick session, um, yeah, Mitchie's on the scooter and he, he, you know, he's just motor pacing you, you're around for you jump in the pool, three Ks basically hard. Three, we used to do like 300s with a bit of faster other stuff, um, yeah, then Mitchie's just pacing you around, for four hour TT around Sanford where we live, um, and these roads are just shit house. They're like just potholes and. And just the worst road you can think of, so it, it's so hard to just stay on, stay on the power. So I feel like when I go to a race, it's so easy to sit on like, sit on your your power that you usually train with, because there's no no like jumping out of saddle trying to avoid like potholes and all this other shit. So, um, yeah, I used to do four hours basically behind the bike, uh, at like over Ironman, well over Ironman base. I think we used to do these things at about three fifteen watts. We used to average, um, and then I, I remember just the last half an hour was like hell. And we used to, I used to just bury myself to to, to finish this session and jump off the bike, and, and we'd go, you know, thirty k at uh, around this loop that we have, just like a one and a half k loop for thirty k. And um, yeah, we I am a big fan of loops, but we just used to loop this this thing for like thirty k. I mean I feel like I, I handled that that load pretty well considering not when I look back at that now and sat thinking how crazy that shit was that we used to do um but I think I've just become a, a more you know stable athlete on the bike um I mean Ironman's all about about efficiency so it's like if you if you're rocking your hips all over the bike trying to hold this power it's no point just just like you know, try and figure out how you can become stable on the bike, save energy. Like I remember just looking at at yarn, for example, how stable that guy is on on a on a bike. So, um, if you can emulate that and basically copy that, um, I think that's that's what we sort of did. And we and we sort of hit the went to the gym, tried to stabilize the hips and the and the core, and um, yeah, we sort of focused that on the last year. Um, and we haven't been coming injured. We've We've really got some good work in. I think the block to Kona was one of our most um, perfect builds. Uh, no sickness, no injuries, um, and yeah, I think it's. But I think it's all from the last three three years of work. It all comes down to this sort of year. So um, yeah, we're pretty happy. We're pretty happy to be honest.
0: Real keen to hear about this. This like perfect block into Kona, but one more question mm-hmm. about about the the crazy shit. So, when you were doing these weeks that were like easily thirty-five hour weeks, and you are saying like we're going four hours, six hours, four hours, six hours mm-hmm. on the bike, do you remember what like your biggest bike week was?
1: Um, I can't quite remember. I, I do, I do know that um, it's just it was it was just super foreign to me because I never you know back in the day I in these ITE programs that I used to do the longest ride we do was you know three hours and and if you go quicker the coach would just like go what the fuck are you, what are you doing like you'd get like trouble for going over like 32k an hour or something like that so um it was super weird to you know get out there on your your tt bike and and, you know you're going for six hours and you're getting up upwards of 200 and something something k out there um and it's just like i was like that's so she she was just an eye-opener um so to just back back all those days up um and just Accumulated K's, it's quite scary when you <laughs> when you've never really done any, anything like that. Um, so yeah, I, I can't. I'm not a hundred percent sure on the bigger bike weeks. It, it wasn't anything crazy. We did implement a lot of um, hill reps into that as well, just to build build the strength up. Uh, I remember going up this local climb, Mount Me, I'd be hundreds of times just to to build to build some strength because that's what we thought, you know. I mean, we still do that, but we used to do it crazy amounts of time. So I guess we've just sort of tamed tamed it down a lot um, and figured out that you don't need to be doing this crazy shit. Um, But then again, I also believe that you do have to do it for a little bit just to get your body um, conditioned to know what it takes, you know.
0: And then I guess it's what's going to be really interesting to hear is the progression to where you're at now because – yeah it's it's like i think i think everyone goes through this experience don't they like all the good guys go through this experience of maybe doing way more before they find like this perfect balance where things just start like aligning for them and they start to show up to races and and just feel great all the time um and and you're, you're clearly no exception to that mm. so how, how did this like how did you guys plan this block into into Kona? Was it like sit down and, and plan out like, hey, in an ideal world, this is what we do and did it play out exactly like that or, you know, how long was the block? What did it look like? Take take me through it.
1: Yeah, well, um, so it would have been after after Cairns. Um, we would have, yeah, sat down and, and, you know, planned out what we're going to do sort of thing. But nothing – if anyone who knows me knows I'm not like most um, – <laughs> like I don't really plan too too much. I'm not the great at plan stuff. So um yeah, we, we planned basically what would be perfect for us, but then again, um the Collins Cup came into to play there. Um so we sort of had to after Cairns, I think it was four weeks, um until Edmonton, we sort of had to, you know, figure out how we're gonna get to the Collins Cup. Um so it was kind of cool. I think in the Collins Cup, it was me, Kyle, and I. Um, oh, other, I think it was Colucci or something. We we're all at one point apart from each other. Basically, whoever got across the line first in Edmonton got the got the Collins Cup slot. So we had to go to that, um, and yeah, we we sort of we sort of raced that uh, just to sort of our strengths. My my bike. Uh, wasn't quite up there. I had a bit of a knee injury after after Cannes. So, um yeah, we sort of just uh planned that not to race at the front, which is which is quite hard. We sort of just <laughs> paced that quite well. Um, got us to Collins Cup and uh yeah, not a great race at Collins Cup. I had some super odd feelings, um, which I think was very similar to what uh Backguard, I believe had in Kona. Um I had that in in uh in Colin's cup and it's such a weird feeling that it's so foreign I've only had it maybe once in my life um where my left leg it, it just goes numb and and there's nothing you can do about it and uh I'm glad I haven't <laughs> felt that since but um yeah I guess after Collins cup um flew straight home and then that was basically uh sort of final block. We did a bit of a block in Andorra before Collins Cup just to um, have a look around Andorra, basically. I just wanted to have a look to see what it was like. And, uh, yeah, look, I'm not, not not a great fan of the place. It, it's too hilly. But uh, I think it was a good good place to go for that sort of time towards our Kona block. It, it was hilly. It was good. you spent a lot of time out out of the bars. And it's just a good uh, strength builder. Um, so, yeah, we got home. And basically the last build from Collins Cup into Kona was – was planned like we had it pretty pretty dialed it was um we knew sort of exactly what was coming up and um over the last couple of years we've sort of figured out you know what what works for us um in terms of like doing these these bigger days we sort of we sort of split the brick days up you know um for for me i i know a lot of people are different but we sort of split it up um just so you know, it lowers the injury risk. And uh, for for me, I've been injured every time I've done an Ironman build. So <laughs> to not get injured was was pretty much the only goal coming into into Kona. Um, so yeah, we, we we sort of ticked all the boxes, and we sort of had nothing go wrong. No sickness, no injuries. We, we we're going to the, to the sauna, you know, getting a good heat heat uh, prep going, and uh, I think um, yeah. To be honest, I think Mitchy Mitchy nailed that that build, and um, we really got a good good confidence booster there in in Malibar. Um, I, I reckon that was almost one of my best races I've ever done. I think the power there was was like people give racing in Australia so much shit. Like they always say, oh, it's nothing. You gotta you gotta come race the Euros. But like if you look at the Cairns race with with Brayden there, I think that was like. If not better than my result in Kona, I think the ride was very similar. Um, the run was a little bit slower. I think my Kona was a little bit better, but but like these are these are world class performances, and everyone just looks at them thinking they're like nothing, like B grade, D grade races. Um, same with Sunny Coast, like the power on the bike there was some of the best I've ever done and the best I've ever felt. And to run and then I ran off the bike, um, finished the run there, like the last six k. We're running three minute pace. Um, like it's, it's it's tough when people, people say that because they they have no idea that they've never raced in Australia. Like they they're just obsessed with European racing. So like yeah, I say if you come down and race us basically to the Euros, it's um you know, we we gotta travel you know thirty hours to get over there without family, no one. Um, I think a great example of that would be uh, Ash General when. She won the Gold Coast um, World Championships in her in her hometown, and I remember her saying something like along that lines, like you know we have got to travel all the way over there to race you guys, but as soon as they come here, the Euros, they can't they can't they they suffer like us over there. So um, yeah, it's uh, Australian racing is is on the up, and and I really believe it's um, in a super good place at the moment. You know we got a we got a good couple of athletes really coming through, and. Uh, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to to seeing how um how the racing here progresses. To be honest,
0: so after the Collins Cup there that you just talked about, where Mitchy planned the perfect uh, block into to Kona and and every went everything went exactly to, to to plan. What did what did that look like? Can you are you okay to give away some of Mitchy's Mitchy's details and and take us inside that block that went so well?
1: Yeah, I mean. If I can, if I can remember, but um,
0: we, we need Mitchy here. Yeah,
1: you need Mitchy here. Um, <laughs> you always need to get your training peaks out and have a look. But um, no, I think I, I definitely I, I swim. I swim most days. I, I I think swimming. I pretty much swim every day. If you if you're not swimming now, um, yeah, it's the sports changing, and uh, I think uh, next year will be, yeah, on if you. If you don't know how to swim, you got no chance. It, it, the race is going to be up the road from from meter one. I think Layla now has has the confidence that he was looking for, um, and there's no there's no stopping that bloke from swimming off the front and then riding riding solo and then just running away with it. So um, I think swimming's going to become crucial um, in the next next couple of years. Um, but yeah, so we swam... I'll swim in every day. um I don't swim in a squad at the moment, but there's no reason why I'm not going to lean into Kona next year um i just swim by myself so <laughs> um yeah it, it's uh there's a long way to, there's a lot to to improve on my swimming for sure um, but yeah, we swim most days and then um I mean, I don't do that don't do that much running um, I just do sort of. Sort of exactly what we, we – we sort of aim. we were aiming for a 240 in Kona exactly, basically. We aim for a 240 in Cairns every year, but we never quite got there, but we didn't really need to because we weren't really really pushed too much. So coming into Kona was sort of the first race where we knew that we'd be pushing to the line. Um, and we basically just trained for a 240, knowing that if you have a good day, you could easily run a 238, but if you run a 240, you're still going to have a – an unreal result. So uh, most of the running was sort of just zoning in on that, that 240 sort of pace. Um, One speed workout a week, you know, just to, to keep the muscles firing. Um, But look, we did never did much over 60, 70 Ks. It was super small, like maybe even less um, running. Um, But yeah, big swim days, big ride days. Um, But then again, nothing nothing too crazy, just a lot on the bike, just a lot of, a lot of time. I think everyone's, everyone's doing the same thing now. Um, like it's pretty obvious to see that everyone's doing the sort of same thing on the bike. It's just sitting a lot of, a lot of time at that, that Ironman zone and above. And, um, like, yeah, look at looking, looking at a race, there's, there's no reason why I can't ride like three tens for this, this race, but, um, yeah, I just don't have that confidence. I've never done it, so I just don't don't have that confidence to be able to do that and then then run off the bike off that. So I think over the next year, two years is um you know, working on that on that bike to be able to to average, you know, that that three hundred plus watts on the bike and um I think that will that's where the sports going. So if you I mean if you're not gonna be able, if you can't do that you're not gonna you're not gonna be world champion. So um yeah, I mean, we got we got a long we got a long way to go. We we don't really, you know, use any any anything. So we don't use any heart rate. Uh, we just use power. No, nobody um,
0: lactate. What are those things?
1: Lactate. <laughs> <laughs> body lactate on it. I think. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot in it, and I'm not against any of that at all. It's just we've never implemented it at all. So um, just, I feel like you just. You lose that enjoyment in 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 the sport when you when you're stopping every twenty minutes taking your bloods and you know I, I love I love training and uh, I love getting out there. I, we just don't have we just don't have the money uh, to pay these these coaches and and to actually analyze this data because I think most of these guys take these things and they they have no idea what they mean. You know, it's just another another measure that, that people love numbers so they get obsessed with this sort of stuff. But for me, I don't really don't really care it's uh <laughs> I look at power but that's about it I, I got a lot of feeling but that's not saying that I wouldn't implement them um, it's just we haven't we haven't got the money to to sort of do that yet um and we yeah I think we got we got a lot to improve um which is a good thing I think I don't think you want to come come forth and and not have anything to to improve on so um yeah there's there's a lot more that we can add for next
0: year a hundred percent i made a joke during the race max which i reckon you'll like but didn't get received well because i don't like i think it was a bit too niche of a joke like i don't think the audience understood it <laughs> i said that like max is a real chance here because he will save at least two minutes not having to stop for lactate during the during the run <laughs> and like just fell on deaf ears by like i got a laugh i thought it was pretty funny because i could i just yeah. couldn't picture you and mitchy ever doing lactate so you've uh you've sort of backed that up there
1: yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I've never really been into that sort of stuff. But like I said, it, it, it's where the sport, obviously where the sport or or if it's just a trend at the moment, but there's definitely something in it. But um, then it, it, it could all just be for people chasing a validation that the training is, well, I don't know what, it, to be honest, I don't, I don't really know.
0: <laughs> hey, you said that like this really caught my attention. You said that everyone is just doing the same thing in triathlon at the moment. Like there's no secrets. Everyone, everyone's pretty much Mm -hmm. doing the same thing. And, and then you said that it's just spending a lot of time on your bike sort of at race pace or just a little bit above that. Can you take me inside what that actually looks like? So, how, how how many hours a week are we talking like how like how how many hours are you doing at ironman race pace or hmm. above like yeah what does that actually look like that that thing that you, you you say that everyone's doing
1: yeah well um i i guess it's just you know it, it's it's getting getting those da- like the days day after day of of sitting in in basically exactly basically exactly what you want, either below or above, you know, the old over-unders. It's, it hasn't really progressed too, too far above that, to be honest. Um, where we're sitting, uh, I think, what would it be? I think Monday is usually cruising and, you know, Wednesday we usually have a, a decent ride in the hills. Um, but it's always, you know, finishing, finishing the day with, you know, um, a good – a good TT um, on, on fatigue legs, you know, and it's, uh, it's, everyone's literally, there's no secrets. It, it, everyone's doing, everyone's doing this. And um, it, it's not, it's not hard to train for Ironman. It, it's probably the easiest of the distances to train for um, because you know, you're not, you're not going, you're not going hard really. It, it's, it's all just about staying, staying controlled and, and not, Not really pushing yourself too hard because you don't need to in Ironman. Like I I did my first three Ironmans in Cairns, and and we and we finished all of them. We sort of like this is this isn't hard. This is it's 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 not hard when you when you're training for specifically for this. I can imagine the age groupers would (laughs) say a different story. But when you when you're training specifically for this and and you you got everything dialed and it's not a hard it's not a hard race. It, It really isn't. And I think that's that's what the Norwegians. That's where it's progressing. You know, they're becoming race. No one fears. No one fears this. It's, it's just another race. And um, yeah, if you if you can rock up to race day feeling good, um, there's no reason that um, in a cool day these guys won't be running. You know, two um, thirties um, in the next couple of years or less. It's it's where the sport's progressing. And uh, yeah, there's no reason why they won't be there.
0: And then another thing you said that. You you believe I think really as of this year, which you can see by how, how the race played out, um, and then you believe that by next year the swim's just going to become so important that if if you're not sort of there or thereabouts, you you can no longer win or compete to to win at, at the World Championships. And I think no one really um, no one really embodies this more than Lionel Sanders, do they? Which is like he's sort of the, the antithesis to you. You keep to yourself and. No one knows who you are outside of, like, your, your Australian fans and maybe the few other triathlon fans you've gathered in your, in your you know, 15 years in the sport or however long you've been doing it, Max. But everyone knows Lionel Sanders because, you know, when you get into Ironman or you sign up for your first 70.3 and you type into YouTube to, to try and get some training <laughs> motivation to, like, watch a YouTube video to – to make you get off the couch and go do that session that you can't be fucked doing, or you're sitting there on your kicker and you're like, Oh, I can't be fucked doing this. I need someone to motivate me. So they (laughs) flick on some Lionel Sanders. And so he just has like hundreds of thousands of fans and, and everyone loves him. All those fans love him. But I watched that race on the weekend and I thought, I don't think Lionel can, can ever win the world championships. I think the sports progressed past how, how he's swimming, which is quite sad, sad. I think him winning the world champs would actually be awesome for the sport. Cause it would get a lot of eyes oh, on it, yeah. but I, I don't think it's possible. So I agree with what you're saying and that's what I'm seeing. Um, and so like, do you, do you sort of agree with that? Do you, as a competitor to those kind of guys, like the guys who are coming out of the water so far back, Cam Wirth and, and Lionel Sanders and, and those kind of guys, do you, do you now not even really consider them like going to Kona next year on the start line? are you thinking about them or are they just like, is the race just going to be you guys who can now ride pretty much the same as them and run pretty much the same as them, but swim five, six minutes faster?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a, I'm a massive Lionel fan. I think he's, you know, great for the sport. He, he's actually a re- really, nice guy. I, I've met him a couple of times at, at the Collins Cup and um, I mean, yeah, he does analyze everything, but I mean, that's what the age group is they love this stuff, you know? So he knows he knows exactly exactly what he's doing and, and i mean yeah i think for these championship races um i think if yeah if you can't swim uh, I just there's just no chance you know like the races up the road that you know you got you got the helicopters the motorbikes and it's hard to get motivated when you can see them you know so far so far ahead and, you, and you're getting time checks of like eight minutes up i've never been really in that situation but i can imagine that it would be super hard to stay motivated for six hours, seven hours of the day, um, knowing that you're still, you know, eight eight minutes back off the lead when you want to be part of the race. Um, I mean, that's not saying Lionel did this in, in St. George, but uh, I think Kona is, is, is something different. There. And for most people, Kona is all, all that matters, I think. And uh I mean, he he loved he got so close one year, Lionel. But I mean, he loved to win it. But I just don't I don't think that's I think the sports changed in the last three years, just the last three years. So um, I think it's going to be hard if, if you can't, yeah, if you can't swim um, up in the front group. There, it's it's almost going to be yeah impossible. I'd have to say. So I think I think I did watch Lionel's video, and I think he said he's quit <laughs> quit the world championship or he's taken a break or something like that. I mean. Yeah, I think it's a smart a smart choice, but uh I, I don't know, I think it's just going to be super hard for that when you're going to have a group of you know 10 guys I think next year who are going to see this race this year and be like, "Oh yeah, I mean, it, it's possible, you know, we can we can get off the front and just like completely tear this race apart." Um so yeah, I think the days of coming from behind, especially in Kona are, are done. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and Talking to, to Sam Lade, though, the other day, he, he said something that you sort of already touched on about the race where he went pretty hard. He just sort of worked his way to the front. He, he actually said that he was standing on the start line, Max, and um, Joe Skipper was, like, pushing him around and wasn't letting him get to where he wanted to stand on the start line and like it was like yeah like physically pushing him and so he just said oh fuck this and he just went and stood <laughs> away from everyone and so that's why he sort of w- had to work his way to the front and then yeah. when he got onto the front he just like hammered for, for I can't remember how long he said and and then he felt someone touch his feet but, but he in his head he thought that he was away he thought he was off the front by himself
1: yeah yeah felt someone- yeah right
0: yeah. He felt someone touch his feet and he, so he you know turned around and did a stroke, a backstroke and he saw that there was like, he's like, he couldn't count how many people. There was like 20, 30 people on his feet, he thought and he's like, oh fuck. And so he just slowed right down, which sort of was really interesting to hear your point of view on that, where you felt like it was really hot for about 2K and then, mm. then it felt like it was standing still. And so, I mean, why I say that is, um he also sam also said that he thinks florian Angert is swimming better than him at the moment and he could have swam way harder and see, clearly sam could have as well so for you guys to to sit up for half the swim and, and just cruise in like you you two have both said um shows that you probably could have put another two minutes into the lionels and the camworths and and sebastian keenlays and these kind of guys so like if that happens next year and instead of the, the race stopping, the swim sort of stopping at 2K and everyone's sitting in. If you guys hammer for 4K, it's only going to get worse for the guys who can't swim, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, that, that's that's what I was saying. I, I sort of, when I heard uh, Lalo sort of saying that, that he was going to sit back at the start, I pretty much, you pretty much know that he wasn't going to, he wasn't in for the solo swim, you know, like, um, I don't know, just sort of, it, that sort of comment there sort of said to me that it's going to be a pack swim and. Um, I I remember in Dallas, no one was really wanting to to risk it in the heat, and I think that sort of sort of scared people, you know, because um, kind of it it is hot, but it's not crazy, but it's still you know it's still like energy sapping. So I think that was sort of his tactic as well was um to like yeah you know he he went out hard at the start he said but I think I think deep down he knew that um he didn't want to push it too hard. Um, but yeah, the swim, the swim is going to be the key, um, over the next couple of years. And, uh, if you're not, if you're not swimming fast, like I said, there's, yeah, I believe you got, you got pretty much zero chance.
0: And then, um, you've touched on like your races at Cairns, which you've won three times in a row now. And, and it's like pretty similar conditions to Kona, similar ish. And, and then you've said that Kona's pretty hot. Um, a few times which we all know and something else you said uh, that I want to touch on is that that Mitchie in that perfect block sort of was organizing the heat training you were going to do what was and, and like I think this is really interesting because Dan Plews came on the podcast and talked about like the heat training him and Chelsea were doing and then Gustav always drops in like interviews and and on his videos and stuff how he thinks the Norwegians are doing their heat acclimatization better than everyone, like which is like he's probably just saying that as a bit of like fun, but <laughs> it, I think it is interesting. People want to know what this is. What did mm. you and you clearly race as well as anyone in the world over the Ironman distance in heat, clear very clearly. Um, so what what does your heat acclimatization look like?
1: Uh, well. Going into the first year in Cairns, we, we never we never did anything. Um, nothing, nothing, no sauna, and no, nothing like that. We sort of just—I'd um, be—I'd I'd run everywhere in a tracksuit, basically no matter no matter the temperature. It was, <laughs> it was tracksuit, and I'd just be dripping sweat everywhere. But um, I sort of I sort of used that instead of uh, going to a sauna because um, up in Brisbane, it, it's super in the. Coming into summer, it's super humid, and it's um, as soon as you put tracks on there, it's your body can't cool down, and um, we sort of use that for for that whole build there. But um, that Cairns race was uh, the hottest race I think you'll ever experience, I don't think there'll ever be a race that hot. So, um, but no, coming into into Kona, we sort of built a, a heat plan. Um, we sort of like we Mitchy. The thing is, Mitchy's he's sort of just getting into triathlon. We both, he's sort of learning off me and I'm, le- I'm learning off him and we sort of just make it up <laughs> as we go. Yeah, as, as you heard, you know, with the injuries and all that sort of stuff. So um, we sort of made up a, a heat plan from from all sorts of different um, papers and research and um, I even um, was just here, here uh, Hayden Wild, he was talking to Lionel in the press conference in uh, Collins Cup and even even that sort of stuff, he was saying how just sitting in a bathtub, uh, just sitting there doing nothing, um, helped him increase his uh, something. It, it's it's sort of similar to going to altitude, and um, even that sort of cemented saying that you know like this is obviously legit shit, and um, we got to get we got to be a part of it. So um, yeah, we just implemented uh, bath, baths and saunas um, most days of the week, to be honest. And yeah, I am not a hundred percent sure if it if it helped too much, but I definitely felt after about ten days in the sauna I could I felt like I could sit in there for so much longer than the than the first ten days. Um and it's I, I can't see how that can't not can't not help you. So um the research I mean backs it up. It, it's similar to going to altitude, so um and you don't really have to do anything you know you just sit there doing nothing so um yeah i think we'll use this going forward um and like you said the norwegians they're like the home of they're the home of saunas and 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 steam room so um so that national program i'm sure is absolutely dialed when it comes to this sort of stuff um i mean they've got millions of dollars back in back in their program so um yeah i believe good stuff when when he says that to be honest so um yeah, it's definitely uh, a a performance enhancer. That's for sure. It's um even if it's just a mental one. Um, yeah, it makes you feel like you can manage manage whatever is put in front of you.
0: So to get like a little bit of clarity around this, because like I I think it's really interesting. You do you just hop in the sauna or the hot bath or or whatever it is like every day randomly, or is it always at a certain time? Like, is it after training sessions? Is it just at the end of the day? And like um how do you build into it do you start like oh i do 20 minutes one like for three days and then 25 and then 30 or like is there any method to it like that or is it just sort of you get in whenever do it every day stay in for however long hydrate afterwards like yeah how, how like does what are the what are the actual nuts and bolts of how you you and mitchy have done it
1: well it, we always plan to do it at the end of the day because it is actually quite taxing it um Especially, I found the the bath was actually harder than the than the sauna. Um, yeah, I mean, you get in the get in the bath, and it takes a while to um, get your body temperature up. But as soon as your temperature, you know, is up there, your your heart rate's sitting at like one hundred and forty beats per minute, and it takes a long time for that to come down. So um, it was definitely at the end of the day, even after after a run, you know, just to keep to start the sauna at when your body temperature is already already risen so um yeah we we uh definitely do it at the end of the day because it also taxes you a lot and you don't really want to do that after just swim in the morning and then have to ride for five hours so um yeah we you got to make sure you of course replace replace the salts and stuff like that but I, it didn't feel like it affected the, the training too much. Some days I'd actually go to the pool the morning after some of these biggest, bigger sauna sessions and actually feel un, like unreal. So, um, yeah, if you're looking for something to change up in your training, I I'd definitely recommend giving sauna as a crack. But, I mean, don't be stupid about it. <laughs> it is, uh, it's quite hard. So just be prepared with electrolytes and all that sort of stuff.
0: What was the longest one you did? And and do you sit there with an electrolyte bottle inside the sauna sipping while you're doing it?
1: No, nah, we went in a no-sit. <laughs> yeah, no no drinking in the sauna. Um, but uh, I think the longest, it wasn't crazy, but I think it was about, it wouldn't have been over 35 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that. Um, I think any longer and you'd probably die. Well, for me anyway. I felt like that was the limit for me. we sort of i as I said, our whole program' based off feeling, so I sort of just jumped out when I was you know feeling you you get this sickness sort of feeling, and I think that's your body telling you you know um it's time to shut it down so um in saying that though i did uh I did pass out after the race. I'm not sure it was from heat or something like that, but um yeah, i still, sort of felt like the same as that sickness um after the after the saunas, and I feel like that could, I don't know. It, it, that was that was a weird feeling, I'll be honest with you.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure you passed out after the race because you actually raced with COVID, mate. But anyway, <laughs> um, with, the, with the saunas, when did you start them? Like how how far away from Kona did you start them? And then maybe more importantly, when did you finish them? When did you stop doing them in the lead up to Kona?
1: Yeah, so I think we did a good, um, so leading into sunny coast, I think we pushed out a good at least four weeks of sauntering, um and then i remember we sauntered the day of sunny coast after the race and then um then probably all the way up to till we left um and then when we got to the island it was hot enough <laughs> our place is hot enough down there at the ocean so we didn't have to do anything when we got there um so that was probably ten days out. We probably shut it down. It's just basically the same as coming down from altitude, I'd say. So, um, yeah, it was, if I, I wouldn't want to be sauntering in in Kona, we did think about it, but um, I think Mitchie decided that's not the greatest of ideas. So.
0: And did you did you sauna like the whole race week of Sunny Coast? Because, like you said, and it's probably the next question I'm going to ask is about that. But that was potentially your best race of the year like it was mm. it was potentially as good as Kona um, and were you sauntering that whole week
1: yeah so we had actually a decent decent week like a quite a big week ha- I can't I'd quite remember I'd have to look, look at training picks but um, yeah we sauntered I think five days and then we had two days before the race when we didn't we took it off um, we did a two day taper into that and I've always thought i had done quite well off uh, a better load, and I'd love to one day test that in an Ironman. I think uh, I think it sort of sort of works for me, but um, I haven't yet tested it in an Ironman. But uh, yeah, I think that race. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It was probably one of my <laughs> one of my better races in terms of of feel and easiness and like pace. Um, but I did actually coming down that hill. Um, when me and Steve, I was sprinting it out for the win there. I actually pulled up with a bit of like a stress reaction in my in my uh, front of my, what was it called? Um, front of your femur or ankle, whatever they call that bone there. I'm thinking I got uh, shin splints coming down the hill. Um, but yeah, that took at least three weeks we sort of had to manage that so i don't i, I didn't that's why i sort of like to keep my stuff quiet you know keep the poker <laughs> face no one no one had any idea what you're doing so um you can come to these races and literally no one has any idea what shape you're in so um <laughs> i sort of use that to my my advantage sometimes but um yeah that little buck horse is legit and uh yeah it's um <laughs> damaged me that's for sure
0: yeah uh, yeah so just before I talk about, it, because I do want to talk about that, um, with the with the week in the lead up to the Sunny Coast, you said you you tapered two days before, and and you're not quite sure what you what you did, but roughly how much are you doing in that week? Like, are you still doing are you still doing some sessions, or are you still doing like twenty twenty five hours? What what does an actual big week look like where you haven't tapered much into a race?
1: Yeah, we definitely did. We definitely did. It, it felt like a normal Ironman week because uh, we're, we're four weeks out here from, from Kona and you don't want to lose pretty much anything. So um, we pretty much just kept it similar. We might have knocked off half an hour, say. We got like a usual five-hour ride. We might knock that down to, you know, just four and a half um, on the Wednesday or something like that. Um, but, you know, it involves the same sort of same sort of thing we're doing, you know, with the hills and the, and the motor pacing and all that sort of stuff. So... Um, nothing really changed. It was just a tiny, tiny tweaks um, of the program, and um, just not pushing, not pushing yourself to the abs, like not the absolute limit. Not pushing yourself really in training, just sort of keeping it, keeping it comfortable, and, and just going through the, through the motions for that week. Nothing like you're not pushing, like, Going to try and extend yourself, um, anything like that. You can do that in the race, and then the week after, basically. So. Um, yeah we sort of kept it pretty similar swimming just kept it up we, we usually swim about you know 30, 30k a week it's quite I we'll swim quite a lot um, so yeah it was, it was pretty similar to, to most other weeks but we just had that you know that two two day taper um, you know just just basically uh, hour and a half rides and you know 30 minute runs um, and just you know just getting, getting the arms turned over so um, yeah I feel like it these work for me and I'd love to actually give it a crack in, in an Ironman one year.
0: And I touched on, on it about an hour and a half ago um, where I said that there was sort of like a little bit of a situation after the race where uh, I can't remember word for word what you said, but like you basically called out Ironman for not, not helping you get to the race or, or whatever it is. You, you would probably remember it more than me. Can you, can you tell me about that? Can you give me, can you give me an unedited version of, of what happened and what you were thinking? <laughs>
1: I've got to be careful here, but um, Don't be careful. yeah, I, I wasn't gonna, I, I didn't want to, you know, say anything before Kona about this, but um, yeah, it's basically you go anywhere anywhere else in the, in the world, and, and Iron Man actually looks after you quite well, you know, like even even Challenge. Um, I mean, I haven't been looked after too well by Challenge, but I haven't, you know, I haven't, like you said, no one really cares about me, sort of thing in, in the in the sport, no one's really like, you know, you're not, I'm not really a name, so. Um, they don't really take Australian racing in, into consideration. No one really, no one really cares about it. So, um, but Ironman actually ha- has looked after you. And, I mean, Collins Cup and all the PTO races, they look after you pr- pretty well. And but I, I feel like when, when we come home to to our home races, where you know we we talk them up so much, and, and I love I love them all, but we just get treated like like shit. You know, like like you're a pro. Like we do get a hotel room at, at most races. And some and some start fee, but um, I've just felt like over the, over the last couple, of, like the last year or two, it's just like I got I got zero for being nothing to be at, at Sunny Coast, like zilch. There were six other guys who got funding in front of me. Um, I don't even know who who they are to be honest. I've never really heard of them. So, um, yeah, it's just it, it's just a kick in the guts to come home to to your home races and, and literally get peanuts nothing um so yeah (laughs) i mean i i I think it's just it's just one person who has control of this but um yeah i think if iron man knew what was what was sort of happening down here they i don't think they'd be too happy but um yeah i think there needs to be changed down down under for our aussie athletes and to look after our top pros i think um, there's a couple of athletes i'm in the same position as me who are a bit a bit angry about it um i mean we we don't it's it's literally nothing it's just like a hotel room which it's not even expensive I, i couldn't care less it's just the principle you know like look after your top pros and we'll look after you basically
0: i'm real passionate about this as well and i did an episode with joe skipper recently where we just went deep on this and and iron man's role in in helping the professionals a little bit more because they're a big company that make a lot of money and so this story sort of um, sort of annoys me a little bit. And I, I, I do want to like, maybe it's up to you, mate, but I would like to give people more insight into what actually happens. So when you say it's like one person pretty much making the, the decisions, can you talk to us about how that plays out for you? So you decide that you're going to do Ironman 70.3 Sunshine Coast. Do you reach out to someone and say, hey, I want to do this and then do you like is there a, is there an athlete liaison who you talk to and and you say can I get some help and then they say no we like can you, and then mm. obviously you're pretty we're pretty pissed off about it so I assume that you were having communications with, with them can you can you actually take us inside it
1: yeah well um I don't really listen to podcasts but I actually listened to the one you did with Belinda and so it's basically because I wanted to know you know what what's the inside I, no one really knows because we're not really told anything so I want to sort of have an idea of what, you know, what Belinda <laughs> is thinking about, um, and what's her sort of, um, thought process. But, um, so basically it's, it, it's the same as i you know, there's one person, um, in Oceana who, who deals with the athletes, but it seems to be that everywhere else you go worldwide, you deal with one person in Ironman, um, worldwide team. But as soon as you come down under, you deal with someone else. Um, And I just don't feel like they follow follow the sport and I don't feel like they really know too much about us athletes. Um, I mean, it's not like I have a massive social media presence, but it's not really, that's not really, you know, what, what matters in in this sport, you know? So um, yeah, we, we, we just contact saying, you know, we're, um, we want to, we're interested in doing this race. Like what, what, what can you offer basically? Or, you say, this is what I'm after. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, the Sun, it's the first time. The Sunny Coast was sort of the first um, time that sort of happened was, uh, nah, sorry. We're, <laughs> we've uh, allocated all our spots. Um, there's five or six athletes who, men who d- apparently deserve, deserve support uh, ahead of me. And, uh, you know, that really pissed me off. And uh, I didn't say anything, you know, because... Uh, it's not going to get me anywhere. i had I had bigger fish to fry in Kona, so um, but yeah, of course, I, I really hope um, something changes down under because um, racing in Europe, I man, they're really good. They're really good to you, know they they really help you out. and it, it's it's literally it's not much money at all, but it's just it's just the principle you know that you' you've earned your right to to go to the press conferences like in you know a little bar, I wasn't even invited um i got yeah i got three three cans titles um and i wasn't even invited to the to the press conference and you know like i've got i've got sponsors who are like paying like good good money for me to, re- to represent them and um i feel like i've had my right there to be able to represent them at at least a press conference so um yeah it's quite disheartening who
0: who did get invited to that press conference
1: I'm not a hundred percent sure, but um, I know the there were two people from the podium the previous year, and maybe one or two others. Uh, I know that I know there are about five people there who got got support ahead of me, which is just crazy. But anyway,
0: <laughs> it's pretty. That is pretty crazy because. Um, to take you like to, I can only really relate to this from my perspective, mate. But I um on on my Patreon uh, I do a, a podcast with Steve McKenna, uh, and we just shoot the shit. Like it's not like this; it's not formal at all. We, like I've said mm. a million times, we pretty much just talk about Steve's sex life more than we do anything else. <laughs> um, and and we did we did one the week before Sunny Coast, and we were talking about because obviously he raced and he came second to you in that like insane battle, and we were talking about like who can win it. And we really only thought it was you, Steve, maybe Caleb if he showed up, but we knew he was going to uh, America at the time or Canada. I can't remember. America, Mm, I think he was going to. Yeah, America, yeah, yeah, Dallas. Dallas he was going to. And um, and so we're like, well, it's you or Steve. You know, Nick Free always trains pretty hard for that race, so he'll be there. But we really thought it was you or Steve. And, like, I, I personally thought you were probably the favorite and deserved to be. And I didn't see like a, I didn't see anyone as being a close fourth. Like I just didn't think it. So to hear that you didn't, not only didn't you, did you not get funding, but if you follow the sport and understand the sport of, of triathlon, but, but maybe even more specifically of like the, the long course racing, if you follow it. So if you're someone who's making these decisions to not have your clear pre-race favorite, like it's you and Steve and there's no one else who like no one else deserved that spot. But I think it was you who was the clear pre-race favorite and fuck you showed that you won dominantly and was insane. Maybe the best 70.3 performance in Australia, like on Australian soil ever for you to, for you to be that person and to not get any funding um, and not even be invited to the the pre-race press conference is actually, it's fucking embarrassing really for the sport Mm -hmm. in Australia.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't want to say too much after the race because, uh, yeah, Kona's obviously, obviously was the was the main when the main goal, and I didn't want to, you know, um, get into any any politics or, or anything like that. But um, yeah, like I said, I, I feel like I you do these race these big races, and and you just you earn you earn your right to to be at these press conferences, and um, when you don't when you get shunned basically and said, no, nah, we got nothing for you. Um, we're going to give it to, you know, some other people that I, I don't even know. Um, yeah, it, it's crazy. And, and I hope, uh, I hope I uh, I hope someone from my is listening because, uh, yeah, I hope something changes.
0: So I'm assuming, like, I haven't asked because, like, you're clearly not wanting to say it. But I have to ask, mate, it's my responsibility as, as host of this podcast. Who, who is the person who makes the decisions?
1: Uh, uh no, I'm not going to say. It, it's, just, uh, <laughs> it, it's just, it's just, it's just the athlete coordinator from, from Ironman in Oceana. And I think she, she's been doing it for, for, for yonks, you know, and I think it's just, it's just one of those things. They're just, um, they just, they don't really, they, they just don't really care, you know, so they, whatever, <laughs> if she's had the job for 10 years, we, we, we just leave it with her. And, um, but as soon as it starts, no, it's
0: affecting athlete, athletes' careers. I, I believe it should be reassessed. Yeah. yeah I I, <laughs> I know who it is. Yeah. and so, But I won't say it because you don't want me to and out of respect for you, I won't. But I agree that that was probably not the right way to handle it. I think they would tell you that it's to help people who live interstate. I think that would be their reasoning. It's the only thing I can sort of think of. where yeah. They'd be like, well, we were helping someone with flights or whatever who lived in uh adelaide for example in steve's yeah, but, case or
1: but uh, i understand steve but that's not how professional professional sport works you know you, you don't look after the 700th ranked person just because they they're a pro <laughs> and then you travel from Thargaminda, you know like it's it's um it's a professional sport and, and if you don't look after your top pros You're gonna get a backlash, and it's it's yeah, it's not it's just not yeah, it's not it's not very respectful to your top pros, and uh, like I said, we deserve the right to be there, and um, if they can't give you that chance, it's um yeah.
0: I'm completely with you for the record. I just that's probably devil's advocate. That's what they would say. And it would be Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. They would say it's to get a deeper field to help people come from interstate and Max lives near here, so he doesn't need it. That's what they would say. I I yeah. I agree with you that it's not how it should be, but yeah, but yeah. that is what they would say. And here's the reality, Max, right? Here's the fucking the the reality. They can afford to pay you as well as those six people. It's oh. a big company, mate. It's and you guys, the prize money there is terrible. Yeah. They the funding for for those like six people you talk about, it's not much anyway. Like they're not giving them heaps, and that race makes a heap of money. As does Ironman Oceana. Oceana. Yeah. As does Man Global, like it's a yeah. big company. So, yeah, I'm completely with you, and I'm I'm going to keep spreading that message yeah. message with you. So, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, well like I said, it, the money they give you is peanuts, but it's not really it's not really about that. Like I said, it's more like the the principle. You know, it's it's like I keep saying. Um, once you, you, I do, like you don't even get invited to the the press conference. You're not part of any of the pre race media. Um, yeah, it kind of hurts a little bit, you know, so I hope some, I really do hope something changes, but um, odds are it probably won't.
0: <laughs> and then I think this is the thing now, now that you've just come forth at the Ironman World Championships and and people are finally talking about you and, you know, maybe the commentators of Ironman will actually know your name instead of just saying this guy looks good when they see you on the bike in Kona next year. You've jumped up 15 places in the PTO rankings from, number 21 to number six in the world and you're in elite company like you're you're a top six ranked triathlete on the planet mate which is fucking exciting what now like have you had have you had contact from 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 companies are you are you t- discussing contracts uh are you plant? like has it changed anything for you going forward
1: yeah 100 percent. I, I think in a, in a normal race when you come forth i don't think um anyone would really would really care and I don't think you you'd really be remembered or anyone would even know your name so um but to get fourth in in this race in this, in this sort of race dynamic and to break the the record by by so much um yeah it's definitely grabbed the attention of of uh a lot of people and um yeah it's quite exciting um i think there's like i said there's a lot there's a lot me and Mitch you can do but um it's expensive, you know. Like Mitchy, he has—he still works at just a, a running, a running and fitness like outdoor shop. Um, like we're not, we're, I can't, I can't afford to, you know, pay him crazy amounts of money. But um, I hope that uh, this performance, you know, um, really, you know, is able to to progress me and Mitchell, me and Mitchell's career. Um, and uh. Yeah, uh, we're, uh, we're quite we're quite excited. I think we're already um, thinking about uh, how how we, how we can attack next year and basically um, what's the best sort of sort of plan to to come back and um, give the world title title a crack because uh, I, I really I really think it's possible and uh, without the Norwegians, um, but I also think that uh, Lalo sort of showed that. They're, they're beatable a hundred percent beatable um if someone is uh like for example if someone went with if if i had a confidence in my bike leg and went with laylo there would they would they let me go or could could we have got a gap where you know you could it's all it's all these coulds but um that laylo definitely a 100 percent showed that these guys these guys are beatable and uh yeah, but then again, uh, <laughs> you think about it, how Eddie beat someone; who runs a two thirty six in Kona. It's like it's just insane. But um, he's definitely opened up the a can of worms for for other people to to dream. And uh, yeah, I think next year is going to be super exciting, especially with the addition addition of Yarn and and back and Alistair Brownlee back in action. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be one for the one for the books. I think.
0: I've got two more questions, and and then we'll wrap up, and they're both um, both about things that 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 you've sort of already talked about and touched on it from Kona this year, uh, that I sort of put down in my memory bank to save for the end. So, first up is that that car trip on the way in. Uh, what are what's the what did, what are those songs on the playlist that have been uh, <laughs> been pumping on on all these like big Iron Man results you've been having lately? What gets you up?
1: No one would have any idea it's just like this random country country <laughs> music song yeah and literally I reckon I, I looked at the like the listening views and it, one of the guys has like you know a hundred monthly 100 monthly listeners on Spotify it's just random shit but it's like they're actually really good songs and um, you know it just it just like strings are right like strings and it uh, it, really, it, really, it really brings back like memories of you know, um, coming out of that COVID hole and, you know, getting your first Ironman victory. And it's just like, I'm real, I'm a big fan of familiarity. Like I love doing laps. I love like listening to the same song and, you know, it's like very comforting sort of thing. So, yeah.
0: Fuck, that's funny. He's like the, yeah. uh, the, the music version of you. No one really knows who he is, but if you give him a chance, he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Uh, and then my last question, because, um, I've mentioned it a few times, the Sam laid though podcast that we did, um, and you and him obviously raced pretty closely that whole day. So I was intertwined. Uh, and he said that, and you actually spoke about this as well. So that's why I wanted to touch on it. He said that he, he came past you early on the ride after you hammered it out of town. And he was the first bloke to, to catch up to you and went around you and sort of said like, oh, fuck it. Let's work together here. Let's, let's like, let's roll turns. And he said, you just blank faced him and didn't say anything. <laughs> and then you, you repeated that story. You said like, oh, I just, let I just sat in. That was my plan. Um, so like, uh, I I love race dynamics like that. Were you guys throughout that whole like seven hours and 40 minutes, was there any other like, um, times that you guys were talking to each other? You also told the Christian story that Mm. I didn't even realize watching it. I don't know if it wasn't on the camera where he was just like, you know, pushed into you and, and gave you the old trip and that kind of thing. Was there any other communication between you and, you know, Magnus or Christian or Gustav or Sam or, um on the on the on the ride or on the run or was there anything pre-race like leading into the race the, the morning of the race maybe even after the race uh not
1: nothing really that uh stands out i was sort of you know sitting at the back of that ride pack so i didn't really have too much to do with the, the front but i guess you know Gustaf and christian they were literally just working together like a, like a, like any training day and i, I think that's Super comforting for them, but um, yeah, I think that incident with with Christian there, um, yeah, that was a real eye opener. Uh, just to to basically see that the bloke's like a, a robot when it comes to to racing. And I, I, when I when he when he tripped me there, I sort of said to him, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but he was definitely getting getting close. But um, yeah, I sort of I sort of had a go at him, you know, because we've been rubbing shoulders for the last three hundred meters, and I go, oh, what you, like you know, a couple of expletives and, um, he just says, I'm on, I'm on Gustav's feet. And that was it. No, no, no apology, nothing. Just say I'm on Gustav's feet. And, and it's just a real life. And you know, to like, see how robotic this guy is. And, um, like he, he, he was obviously having, having a bit of a, a tough time there at the start of the marathon. Cause if you, if you're not hurting there, you wouldn't give a shit about that, you know? So, um, I think from that point onwards, I sort of said, all right, Christian's, Christian's not having, uh, having his best time out here. So I sort of said, if I'm going to beat Christian, you know, I'm going to have to, have to get off the gas. Uh, it's not like I couldn't, couldn't have gone with those guys, but, um, I think my best race would have, would have come from, uh, slowing down a bit. But yeah, as I said, Christian, uh, was a machine at the end there and he, he hung on tough, but, um, Yeah, not too many race dynamics, other stories. But, uh, yeah, to be honest, I can't can't even remember. Um, After the race, I I was in medical for, you know, two hours. Um, Just, you know, I came to and it took me two hours to to come back to my normal self. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, I can't remember too much from the end there, sorry.
0: Have any of the um, big dogs or like big big names in the sport like messaged you made sure they contacted you after the race to just like tell you how impressed they were with that, imp- that performance because like oh, like it was it was arguably i think sam laid those performance maybe overshadowed shattered everything like 23 did what he did crazy everyone was focusing on that and then obviously gustav but your performance was the next one it was like it was like sam's was probably the most impressive gustav's was like the, it was the most impressive but everyone expected it and then you like has, has anyone like got in contact with you um
1: no i reckon ken worth i've never actually even met him before but um he's always basically the only one out of there he sort of you know respects respects the performance and he's always you know commenting and congratulating me um but then again i don't think uh i'm too out there i I, I don't really know don't really know any of these guys you know like i think. that's sort of how I want how I want to keep it. I don't think you want to be. Oh, I don't know. A lot of them are friends, but I don't. For me personally, I don't think I want to be friends with these people when you're they're your main, they're your main competitors. I I just don't see why why you'd want to do that. So, um, yeah, I don't. I just keep my distance basically, <laughs> and, and sort of out of that sort of world of um, well, that sort of stuff. So, I mean, yeah, oh, I don't. I don't. I don't need uh, anyone to congratulate me on. It, it, like I said, way at the start, I'm doing it for for myself and my and my team. So it's um, yeah, it's it's a very personal sort of thing,
0: and that's pretty much me. Questioned questions that like all my questions done for the day. But the the last thing to finish on is, um, I think it's been a theme throughout this podcast. I, I've sort of like made a point of it and you've made points of it is that you do keep to yourself and, and you don't have the biggest name in the sport, but you're very fucking good. Like you just came fourth in the the best world championships of all time. And, and you beat Jan Fredino's course record by eight minutes. That's Jan Fredino. Like that's insane. And, and you have 6,000 Instagram followers, which just... <laughs> A, fu- a fucking annoys me. I like. I want you to be so much more popular than you are, and have people follow your, your your journey because you 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 truly are an amazing athlete and deserve it. Have you considered? Have you considered like the social media thing? Have you considered being like, I don't like this. It doesn't. It's boring to me. I don't really want to do it. But for the sake of like leaving, you know, a few hundred thousand over your career on the table, like, do mm. you, do you make more effort with it or? do you bring someone into the team? Do you like try and convince you, your girlfriend to, to yeah, do yeah. it for you? Like, cause you see what Lionel does. You, you are now, in my opinion, a, a better chance to win the Ironman world championships than Lionel ever is. And winning that would definitely get you a heap of clout and eyes on. And, and if you can go through and do that, then you probably don't need to go the social media path, but geez, it's, it is shown that if you want to make big money, it's, it's there to be made if, if you can, if you can put content out there. So I'm I am curious where you, whether you've thought about it
1: a hundred percent um it's, i think it's just about finding finding the right um we've spoken about this for so long i mean but she's <laughs> always always talking about it. we never sort of sort of do anything about it um i mean glenn glenn from corrupt vision has probably spoke to me a thousand times about <laughs> about doing something um about my social media but i i just never i never get around to it i, I I mean, it's probably just laziness, to be honest with you. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, of course, if, if you wanna wanna get your name out there, you gotta you gotta open up more. Um, I've always just been so used to, you know, being just uh, so closed off and, and not not uh, letting anyone know where, where I stand, sort of thing. So um, yeah, I think uh, absolutely, uh, we gotta work. On that I mean our team our team manager is always half on helping on about it as well Bob um I mean he understands the importance of it um and yeah it, it, if you, if you, if we don't really do it, I think uh we're definitely holding holding my brand and our team back so um yeah definitely leading into next year um I think we're gonna definitely work on some sort of youtube channel and um and stuff like that just uh um yeah, let people know what, what we do, basically, yeah.
0: Awesome. I think it's a great idea because, like I said, you're definitely, like, I reckon you're a real chance to win a world championships. I, I I don't say that about many people. I'm sort of a bit of a skeptic on on most people, and I don't really get caught up into, you know, hype too often, although I try and hype a few, a few things up for the podcast. But <laughs> I genuinely think with the way you race in the heat and the way you race over the Ironman distance, you are one of the few people over the next three to four years, who can win the Ironman World Championships. And I'll be shocked if you don't finish top five or six there again next year. Like, I'll, that'll shock me. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to, to, to keep watching it unfold. And I hope that by coming on here, maybe you get a few more Instagram followers and some people start caring about you that, that didn't know who you were. And and maybe they did and they, they just haven't really thought about it. Like, you're, you're, you're the Australian who's a chance to win the Ironman World Championships in the next few years. And I don't really think there's anyone else who can. That might be a bit skeptical in itself, especially because I'm such good mates with Steve. But I think I think if anyone's going to win it, it's going to be you. And um, and yeah, let's start putting some respect on your name. So, congratulations again on on that insane race, mate! Fucking unbelievable! You're you're a beast. Um, thanks heaps for coming on and having the, having such a a long, deep, detailed chat. I really appreciate you for it. Um, yeah, it was awesome.
1: No worries, Jack. Love your work, mate.
0: Awesome. Have a good day, Maxi. you, mate. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pillar Performance. Like I said, I use Pillar Performance products daily now and I love them. So if you want to try them for yourself or you just want to restock if you already use them, head to pillarperformance.shop and remember that while you're there, use my code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. That's code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order.